I was 25 years old attending a Christian church and married to my high school crush when my father-in-law gave me the opportunity to go to the U.S. for ministry. I left behind my young and pregnant wife and a young daughter. We were separated for almost four years. In November of 1994, I experienced the biggest test of my life. I was pastoring a small church in the U.S. when a horrible incident happened to my family back home. Please excuse me from stating the details of that tragedy, but suffice it to say that I was so devastated and I hurriedly packed my bags and returned to Manila. I realized too late that I never should have left my family. They became like sheep without a shepherd, with no one to protect and care for them. Aside from the tragedy that they experienced, the years of separation left a large gap in our relationship. I did not see my second daughter born or grow up. She was three when I finally met her. And making up for the lost time was not easy. I was in so much pain because of what happened. I blamed God and questioned his goodness. Why did he allow my kids to suffer? Why didn't he protect them? I even argued with God that all this time I was serving him as a pastor in the U.S. He did not take care of my children. It broke me and tore me apart when I saw the living condition of my family. Desperate to ease my pain, I turned to drugs. Whenever I was high, I felt numbed and in full control. I felt like I could do anything. But after the high, or after the high was over, I realized the problems were still there. Soon enough, I was hooked. Things became worse when I, found, when I found out that my wife was pregnant with our third child and had to resign from her job due to pregnancy complications while I lost my job due to setbacks in the company. Angry and confused, I sunk deeper into depression. My wife and I being jobless and my father having been diagnosed with lung cancer made me increase my drug dosage. The drugs took full control of me and I began to care less and less for my family. I tried to control the habit, convincing myself that I could manage it, that I could stop it if I choose to. But this was just one of Satan's lies that I began to believe. Meanwhile, my anger turned into rage as I sunk deeper into the habit. I did not realize that I was already hurting people that I love. My wife, Katz, and I were drawn further apart as our quarrels became more frequent while I was trying to deny my drug habit. Like most drug dependents, I supported my habits first by stealing, even from those I loved. And then things got worse 
I began stealing or selling drugs to get a free dose. Satan's deception took full control of my life, a life that was miserable, lonely, and exhausting. One afternoon, while so depressed, I took my gun loaded with two bullets, placed the gun to my head, and pulled the trigger. Believing the lie that this would end my suffering and that of my loved ones. By the grace of God, the first bullet didn't fire. To test if the gun was working, I pointed it to the ground and pulled the trigger again. To my surprise, the gun went off. I suddenly came to my senses when I heard the blast and threw the gun, shivering with fear. I began trying even harder to stop my drug habit. But I would only find myself back on it again. What God wanted was my full repentance and genuine obedience. And by His grace, He allowed me to reach to the lowest point of my life. This happened when cats finally kicked me out of the house with a condition only to return if I was ready to seek help. I found myself alone, dirty, frail, and sleeping in the streets. It was so bad that there were mornings when I would wake up unsure where I was. Everybody, including my entire family, hated me and was afraid of me. I had a feeling that nobody cared even if I lived or died. Before long, I found myself inside a jail cell. And it was then I remembered the story of the prodigal son. I had a wife who loved me, four wonderful kids, and a warm bed at home. What was I doing to myself? I cried out to the Lord like I never did before. And the Lord was faithful to answer. He made me realize that I could never change who I was and that he was my only hope of transformation. Praise God. He eventually got me out of prison and I was able to go home to my wife and kids. On January 1999, with the help of our discipler and D group, I was brought to a Christian rehabilitation center for men. It was there that I experienced a personal encounter with Jesus. I knew I had to stop compromising. It was God or nothing. I had to confess and let go of a lot of things like pride, anger, and bitterness. Praise God, he dealt with me in his unique supernatural way. Today, I stand before you 24 years sober and praising him for his love, mercy, and grace. I am the evidence that God and his power can redeem my biggest and seemingly irreparable mistakes for his glory. He's such a loving God and offers everyone a second chance if we will only surrender to him to be the Lord of our lives. Today, his marvelous grace and mercy has not only restored the love and respect of my wife 
my kids a hundred tenfold, but has also given me the privilege of serving him through the music ministry, pastoral care, and a D-group leader. My name is Bien Santos. To Jesus be all the glory. Amen. Amen. You know, Bien has been with us a long time already, but his testimony is a classic example that you cannot go so deep that God's grace cannot reach you. Amen? And I invited the wife to be here who I'm glad you kicked him out. You know why? Sometimes you need tough love. Tough love is to wake people up. But I'm so glad you did not look for another man. I'm so glad you waited for God to work. And I praise God. And I praise God. Ricky is a D-group leader for 27 years. Imagine that. In adapt partner? Malapit now. So, guys, are you touched by the grace of God? So why don't we all stand up, raise our hands, and pray for them, all right? Father God in heaven, I thank you for Ben, for Kathy, for all that you have done in their lives, how he has to go through brokenness, misery, in order to wake up and really come to you the real way. And Lord, I thank you for this family. I now pray for all the challenges he's facing. I pray for the children, and I also pray, Lord, for their blessings. Thank you that all the children have grown up, but I now pray for a special blessing for Bien and Kathy. You know their needs. You know their desires. So I pray you grant them the desires of their heart. And thank you for my brother Ricky, for his faithfulness in mentoring and shepherding this couple. Grant all of these people, Lord, many more years to come and be a blessing to many people. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen and amen. God bless, brother. You know, today, we will, have, we will continue our series on victorious living. Now, victorious living, you will discover, is something that you need to maintain day by day, 24-7. In the Bible, you have two occasions where Joshua failed where Joshua made mistakes. The first one was last Sunday. Do you recall the mistake of Joshua? Overconfidence. He did not pray. He did not ask God. And then one of the men was stealing something from God, remember? What is the lesson for us? Sin is the kryptonite of believers. If you allow sin in your lives, in your midst, there's no way you can stand before the enemies. God is saying you will be defeated. And many fathers are not aware that they are responsible also for their entire family. So I tell fathers, make sure your wife, make sure your children are walking with the Lord. Because many times you don't connect financial problem, physical problem, health problem with the way you walk with the Lord. I'm not saying every problem is because of sin, but I'm saying there are many occasions where you have allowed sin in your midst, and that's why you have problems. 
So always be humble. The first thing you should do if you have a problem, if I were, if I were you, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to say, Lord, is there something in my life? Is there something my wife is doing? Is there something that you want us to learn? Humble yourself. Don't blame others. Just look at yourself. Today, we look at the second failure of Joshua. Now, you have read the Bible. Am I correct? What was Joshua's problem? The Bible tells us he was deceived. Many times, you and I have problems simply because other people did something against us. In this case, it was not the sin of Joshua. It was not the sin of the people. It was deception. Now, the reality is this. You and I are in a spiritual warfare. There are enemies used by Satan to make you trip, to make you fall. It's called deception. How many of you have been deceived at least once in your life? Higher, higher. Naloko ka. In Tagalog, naloko ka. I hope hindi ka nangloloko, pero ikaw ang naloko. Do you realize most of us have been deceived? I was shocked to discover the latest deception in the States. It's this famous guy by the name of uh, Brinkman. You will see his picture, Sam Bankman. This guy was the idol of everybody. He was featured in the news, a lot of celebrities, including sports superstars, were used by him. I mean, the guy was a superhero. But would you believe it? He's now accused and judged and, well, not just sentenced, but he stole almost $32 billion. It's about cryptocurrency. People invested with him. Now, do you know how much is $32 billion? How many pesos is that? $32 billion times 50. My goodness. Friends, that kind of money is unimaginable. How can people be so gullible? So today, I want to share with you a very important message. Do not be deceived. Turn to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, do not be deceived. Be on guard. One more time. Do not be deceived. Be on guard. How are we deceived? You know, the Bible is very clear. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, let's read this together. Everybody, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Notice the word sober and be on the alert, meaning, hey guys, wake up. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, meaning there's an enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Look at the graphic picture. It's like a roaring lion. You know why lion roars? It is to tell everybody, I am the king of this property. But then when the lion is about to attack, the lion does not roar. It's quiet. It will slowly follow the prey. What else do you notice? The lion will usually attack when the prey is not knowledgeable of his attack. He will look after the weakest. Ladies and gentlemen, 
there's a warfare ongoing today. It's a warfare for your soul, for your life. And many Christians are totally ignorant. You're not aware of the warfare that's ongoing. That's why I love the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is a lesson for us that God wants you to be victorious. However, there are divine principles in order to be victorious. So you see, victory is promised by God, but there are conditions to those promises. And you've got to know your part and do your part. So, what have we learned? Remember, Joshua chapter 1 gives you the foundation. The Bible says, let this book of the law be in your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Study the Bible so that you'll be careful to obey. And then when you obey everything written in it, the promise is what? You will be successful and you will prosper. That is the foundation of Christian victory. And we all want to be victorious. However, the reality of failure is true. So what do you do when you fail? Learn to be like Joshua. When you fail, get up again. Don't stay down. This one, how do you avoid failure? All right? So what's the topic today? Everybody, be on guard. So tell your neighbor one more time, be on guard. Be on guard. Do not be deceived. So what should you guard? I suggest you guard, number one, your mind. You have to check out what is going on in your mind. Everybody say the word, check it out. Why is that important? Because the battle is in the mind, what you believe. So you got to check it out. What are you listening to? What are you believing? Check it out. One more time. Check it out. Number two, what must you do? You must consult. In the story we just read, what did you notice? They did not consult God. But after consulting God, what must you do? You must commit. Commit to follow God's way. Meaning you got to change. However, if you have made stupid commitments... You don't make a wrong to correct another wrong. That's the story of Joshua. So I'm going to share with you important principles on how not to be deceived. Number one, what? Check it out. How do you check it out? You've got to consult God. You need to learn how to pray. You need to study the Bible. So let's talk about the first principle. Check it out. You know... If you look at Joshua, now because you have read the Bible already, I don't plan to read everything, but I just want to highlight a few things, all right? I want you to see the map. The map tells us the following. Joshua and company, they crossed the Jordan River and they stayed in Gilgal. So Gilgal is the headquarter. So the first city they have to attack is what? Jericho. Remember? That's the first city. The next one is AI. AI is around 15 miles, 20 miles. After AI, the next one is Gibeon. However, the Gibeonites deceived Joshua. They sent a delegation to Gilgal. 
and they make up an amazing story. Do you know how they deceived Joshua? They were saying, look at our clothes, look at our uh, bread. It's all old stuff. We come from a faraway country. No, but I want to give you advanced information. So, because Gibeon was able to deceive Joshua at Gilgal, Joshua and company made a vow. Remember what is a vow? Okay, let's look at the Bible. Okay, let's look at Joshua chapter 2. Let's begin verse 3 and 5, okay? Everybody together. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, their neighbor, they acted craftily. Guys, check it out. When you hear stories like what they're telling Joshua, they set out as envoys, took worn-out sacks on their donkeys, wineskins, worn-out, torn, mended, worn-out, pat sandals on their feet, worn-out clothes on themselves. All the bread of the provision was dry and had become crumbled. In other words, what you see is not really true. But that's how they deceive. How will people deceive you? People don't deceive you blatantly. They deceive you by sounding something true, but not so true. Am I correct? That is the technique of the devil. Now, continue reading. Let's look at Joshua chapter 9. Continue. Verse 7. They went to Joshua the camp at Gilgal, their headquarters, and said to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country, blah, 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 blah. Make a long story short. We are your servants. Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? You know, the men of Israel was suspicious. You know why? They said, the men of Israel said to the Hevites, perhaps you are living within our land. How shall we make a covenant? You see, because God told them, you cannot make a covenant with the people. So they have a suspicious. Yes, they think, hmm, maybe these guys are not telling the truth. Let's read the next few verses. They said to him, your servants have come from a faraway country, but we heard the fame of the Lord your God. Do you recall they are sounding like Rahab? Remember Rahab? They have said, we heard about God. And Rahab was willing to change her religion. Now, similar to these people. Now, remember, when you read the Bible, this is called descriptive passage, not prescriptive. It is describing how the people of the Gibeon, how they change. The Bible tells us no other people did the same thing as Gibeon. They wanted to fight the Israelites, except these people. Somehow, their heart must have touched them, so they wanted to surrender. And that's what they did. Now, this is the story. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions. Everybody read aloud. Did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. And that, my friend, is our usual problem. We don't ask counsel for the Lord. They made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath. In other words, 
Ladies and gentlemen, especially ladies, if you're about to get married, how will you know that your boyfriend or your fiancé is not a fake? How will you know? Those of you who are married, are you saying it's too late for you? <laughs> My friend, what's principle number one? Check it out. Check it out. That's why I believe when you meet somebody in Facebook or in those dating sites, you need to check out. You need to be smart and prudent. Don't be in a hurry to make vows. Because once you get married, that's it. So, how do you check out? You pray. You consult God. How do you check out? You consult the Scripture. Now, let me share with you the style of the enemy, just like this one, so that you will understand why you should be on guard. Okay, everybody, if you want to remember one point, it's simply this. Today, do not be deceived, be on guard. Can you repeat? Do not be deceived, be on guard. How do you guard yourself? Can I share with you amazing verses from the Bible that I want to encourage you with? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible, through Peter, warned the believers. Everybody read. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, everybody, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. The context has to do with the second coming of Jesus. It has to do with being prepared to meet Jesus. And Peter is telling the believers, be on guard. Friends, be on guard. The apostle Paul told his disciples in the book of Acts. Let's read this together. Together, aloud. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I want to apply this to all fathers. Fathers, be on guard. Start with yourself as the leader. But then be on guard for your flock, for your family, for your children. Many, many parents, many fathers do not understand their responsibility is not just to guard. Many pastors fail to guard themselves and then they fail to guard their own family. You can be so busy guarding others that you forget to guard yourself. So the message today is very simple. Do not be deceived that you are spiritually so strong that you can handle all kinds of temptation. No, no, no. Be on guard. Do not be deceived. Be on guard. I am saddened when I hear parents send their children abroad. Why am I saddened? I feel many children are sent abroad to study, but they are not spiritually ready. I am not against having education outside the country, but what grieves my heart? I've seen many CCFers. Their children used to be in love with Jesus, active in Sunday school. Then they go abroad. And before you know it, they become agnostic. They stop believing. What do you expect? The whole world is trying to brainwash our children. So friends, be on guard 
Everybody say that. Be on guard for yourself and for who? And the flock. Are you a D-group leader? Okay. Teach your people how to be on guard. Are you a father? How's your family doing? Are they walking with the Lord? You see the responsibility? <coughs> this is warfare. Now, where is the battle? Where's the battle? I don't see warfare. Ah, I want to show you where's the battle. It's in the mind. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Everybody. <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Everybody, please read together. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. See? Not of the flesh. This is spiritual warfare. Continue. Divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, fortresses. What enters your mind when you see the word fortress? In the olden days, fortress are like castle. They are military headquarters. Very hard to attack. They become so strong. Satan is building fortresses in your mind. That's the context of this verse. Divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses which Satan has built in your mind. Why do I say that? We are destroying, the Apostle Paul is saying, we are destroying speculation. Again, guard your mind, guard what you are thinking, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Everybody read. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So the battle has to do in the mind. What you believe, what you think, that is the main battle. But many of us have no idea that what's going on in your mind is the crucial battle ongoing right now. As you're listening to me, I will not be surprised if there are voices entering your head. And these voices, depending on what kind of voice, many times, if it's against God, it's from who? Listen to me. Satan does not appear in front of you and say, Buga, ako ay si Satanas. Liliponin kita sa impyerno. No, 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 no. Satan appears to us. The Bible tells us, like the angel. He whispers. He put thoughts in your mind. You see, if Satan were to appear and tell you what to do, you will not do it. Ooh, what will you do? You run away. Yes or no? But if Satan appears like an angel of light, what do you do? I got permission from my friend to share with you his story. Now, he's a president of a very famous civic organization in this country. And they have international gathering. So they have this international convention in Korea. He was the president of the Philippine chapter. So when they went to Korea, worldwide delegation, the Koreans are very hospitable. And they do this. This is a practice of this amazing civic organization, but I don't like their practice. You know why? After the dinner, when he went to his hotel room, he got a shock of his life. There was a girl waiting for him. I asked him, beautiful, 
Yes, sir. Beautiful. And then, this is amazing. I said, what did you do? Here's the temptation. Number one, nobody will find out. Number two, my wife is not here. Number three, these are high class. Number four, it's safe. Nobody will find out. Except there's a problem. When the girl was seated beside the bed, there was a Bible verse in the picture, in the painting. And he saw the Bible verse. And this guy is the father of Jesus. You know what he did? He told the girl, please leave. You see, you don't discuss with the opposite sex. You know, I cannot do this. No, no, no. Leave, leave. And the girl said, what's wrong? Am I not beautiful? Please leave, please leave. The next morning, the president of that international organization went to see my friend. And he said, I heard what happened last night. You did not do anything. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Are you a Christian? And the guy said, yes, I'm a Christian. And the Korean said, my respect for you have gone up. You know why? Friends, Satan knows our weaknesses. And he will whisper to you, nobody will know. Nobody will find out. Go ahead and do it. But why did my friend, by the grace of God, able to resist? You see, friend, you must understand how do you fight the enemy? We take every thought captive. Now, Satan will build a stronghold. <clears throat> now, I'm going to talk about the story of a couple. This couple is not from CCF, okay? so don't start thinking, ah, he's talking about this, he's talking about that. But the story is similar, because what happened to this couple is, a, is an example of what happens to many of our couples. You see, this couple know Jesus. They grew up in a Christian environment, but their marriage is problematic. And the reason it was problematic, and the pastor is trying to figure out what's wrong. The woman has allowed a stronghold in her mind. What was the stronghold? You see, when the woman was growing up, her father was abusive. In her mind, men are irresponsible. So the stronghold that was built in her mind, you cannot trust men. So the moment her husband makes a mistake, boom. She became critical. She became judgmental. The marriage was horrible. Now, the husband also had a stronghold. They never understood spiritual warfare. They know the Bible. They read the Bible. They attend worship services. But at home, it was hell on earth. Can I tell you why? Because of the stronghold. Strongholds are ideas that has somehow controlled you, but you don't even know it. You see, her, the husband has this idea. The role of a man, he copied from his father. Passive. Whatever the wife wants, okay lang. Men, do you realize if you become passive, your wife will lose respect for you? 
If all you do is to provide, my friend, you are creating, enabling your wife to be what she was not designed to be. So the wife takes over. Now, the moment the wife takes over, the family goes astray. Why? Stronghold. Now, I do not know what are your strongholds. For some people, it's the lie that you will always be a porn, an addict to pornography. For some people, you need pornography to have sex. I have counseled people because they grew up with that kind of mindset. In order to be excited, I need to watch pornography. So, for other people, I cannot be happy with my wife. You know, this famous Filipino saying, kung ang manok ay maglagay ka ng palay, tutuka ba yan o hindi? In English, if a chicken has palay, has rice, what will the chicken do? It will bite. It will eat. So we are like chicken. I'm only a man. This girl, that girl, that girl, I'm only a man. Have you heard of that argument? All right. My friend, this is what you call lies of Satan. So, do not be deceived. Be on guard. Now, I do not know your weaknesses. But let me share with you examples of lies of Satan. Okay? For example, look at these amazing uh, lies that I want to show you in the chart. The lies of Satan. Okay? What, what are the lies of Satan? For example, number one, everybody read this. Everyone is doing it. I share this in IDC. It must be okay. Everyone is doing it. I don't stop in the Bible. Be holy. I'm holy. You see, who do you follow? Who do you believe? Satan. Whatever makes you happy. It's okay. God wants you to be happy. Use happy toothpaste. No, 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 no. This is the one. Deny yourself and follow me. In other words, to be happy is counterintuitive. Deny yourself and you will find life. Satan says, no, no, no. Satan says, whatever makes you happy, you only live once. Remember this? YOLO. You only live once. There's life after death, my friend. Follow your heart. Oh, my goodness. This is the favorite. Follow your heart. My friend, the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful. How come there are so many divorces? Why? That's precisely the problem. They followed their heart, and their heart deceived them. Friend, tayo tayo lang, huh? Do you think God loves you? Louder. If He loves you, is He after your interest? What do you think? Is God after your interest? If God loves me and is after my interest and God knows what is best, don't you think to follow him is the most logical thing you and I can do? Ah, Satan is a liar. Satan says, God does not love you. Satan will tell you, no, no, no. You do it your way. Your way is happy. God's way is unhappy. Why do you think people commit suicide left and right? Why do you think famous actresses, famous movie stars, they're happy now, then after a while they divorce? 
Why? Because reality sets in. God knows reality. So, this is a famous one. Premarital sex and living in is okay. Everybody's doing it. Lahat naman gumagawa ng ganyan eh. My friend, God is saying immorality is wrong. So my question to you is simply this. How do you protect yourself? How do you guard yourself? Who will you believe? Will you believe media? Will you believe society? Will you believe your teacher? Or will you believe the Bible? Eventually, it's a choice. Yes or no? I cannot force you to believe anything. You've got to make a choice. In my case, I've decided I will follow the Word of God. I will follow Jesus. There are reasons why I follow the Bible. Prophecy. Historical truth. The nation of Israel. Archaeology. There are reasons why I believe in the Bible. I don't believe the Bible blindly. You see, to be on guard, you need to ask yourself, what are you believing? What are you guarding? So, number one, how do you guard yourself? Check it out. Number two, what must you do? Consult. Consult God. Can I teach you how to pray? Oh, you mga single, If you want to marry the right person, will I teach you an amazing attitude of prayer? George Mueller shared this, okay? When you pray, according to George Mueller, okay? How should you pray? According to George Mueller, you must make your heart very objective. At the beginning, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. In other words, when people come to me to help me make decisions, or they ask for advice, even in CCF, when we pray to God, we do our best to be neutral in our heart. Because if you pray with this idea, Lord, ito ang gusto ko. Lord, this guy I want to marry. Is this your will? Yes, yes thank you. No, no. If you want to pray, you must say, Lord, I open my heart. In fact, I tell all my children, do not give your heart to anybody until you are sure this is of God. Because once you give your heart, it's really painful to say no. So that's my advice. When you pray, come before God. Lord, should I go abroad? Should I stay? Should I quit my job? Should I not quit my job? You pray to God objectively. Lord, whatever you tell me, that I'm willing to do. Then I give people advice. How do you know it is God's will? Will it bring God the greatest honor? Or will it dishonor God's name? If you're having a problem, how do you resolve the problem? Do it God's way. What's principle number three? Do it, commit to what? To do it. God's way. But before I go to expanding this, I want you to understand why theology is important. Sooner or later, listen to me, sooner or later, you will have problems. And when your problems come, how do you respond to problems? Sickness. Something you don't like to do. Theology is important. So let me share with you a quick example I'm sure you have been bothered by the story of Joshua. What do I mean bothered? Everybody? 
Are you bothered by the fact that God tells Joshua to kill everybody? Children, women, everybody? Does it bother you, yes or no? How do you resolve that? That's why I want to teach you theology. This is the elephant in the room. When you study the book of Joshua, many, not many, is willing to discuss the theology. What, what happened? Why will you kill everybody? All right, quickly. For you to understand why, you need to know the heart of God. Example, for you to process things, to pray very well, there are a few things I want you to know about God, okay? In fact, five of them. Number one, I'd like you to know, number one, that God is sovereign. Yes or no? You got to know theology. God owns everything. He has the right to do whatever he wants to do because God is sovereign, absolute power. Number two, God is holy. God will not do anything that is sinful. Number three, not only is he holy, he is good. God is absolutely good. He is perfectly good. God cannot improve to become gooder. No, no. God is good, period. Why? He's perfect. He doesn't need to improve. He's perfect, perfectly good. And God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what's best. And then, God is love. He wants what's best for you. Now, once you understand this theology about who God is, you now interpret everything based on the lenses of Scripture. Okay? When God does something, God will not violate one, two, three, four, five. So what does that mean? So I'll give you an example. Years ago, thousands of years ago, God appeared to Abraham and told Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Can God do it? He's sovereign. But he's also holy. He's also good. So why would God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham knew God. So look at his negotiation with God. You see, Abraham was thinking of his nephew. He was thinking of his loved ones. Eh, paano itong silat? Paano itong mga ano ko? The nieces, the nephews. Paano yan? So he said, God, look at his theology. I will teach you theology. Let's look at Genesis, how he appealed to God, right? In Genesis, I want you to read now, all right? Chapter 18, God said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. All right? So I want to destroy it. Now look at what Abraham did. Abraham said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? God, are you going to destroy the whole city of Sodom, the righteous and the wicked together? You see, what is, God's, what is Abraham's theology? God is righteous. He will never do that. So let's read the next verse. He is correct. He began to negotiate. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? 50. Look at how God replied. God said, far be it for, from you to do such. No, this is Abraham. Abraham is negotiating with God. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? 
You see what Abraham is doing? Abraham is saying, Lord, you are just. You will never do that. You will never allow the good people and the bad people to suffer together. Do you understand his theology? So what did God say? All right. If I find 50 people, I will not destroy Sodom. And then Abraham went back. Lord, Lord, Lord. This is now the PTC version, okay? But it's almost accurate. Lord, 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 Lord. Pakiusap, pakiusap. What is it? What about 45? God said, 45? I will spare the city. Kumamot si, ano? Okay, okay. Lord, Lord, Lord. What about 40? 40. God said, 40? I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow, Abraham said, <coughs> just to make sure, 30, 30. Akala mo, divisory ito eh. So the Lord said, 30, I will spare the city. Abraham went back. Lord, 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 Lord. Pakiusap na lang. 20, 20. What did God say? 20? I will spare the whole city. Finally, sabi ni Abraham, palakasan ng mukha dito. Palaki yung no? Boss, boss, boss. That's my version, okay? I don't think he calls him boss. He called him Lord. What about 10? Ah, 10. Of course, out of the whole Makati, out of the whole Sodom and Gomorrah, there should be at least 10. And God said, 10? No problem. I will spare the city. What does that tell you about God? Compassionate. Yes or no? Now, do you know the end of the story there? God sent two angels. You know why? An angel has how many hands? Look at the Bible. How many? Angel is like us. Two hands. So God sent how many angels? Two. So that there will be four hands. You know why? Because Lot, the nephew, and Mrs. Lot are so in love with the sinful Sodom that they they don't want to live. And their two daughters. So you know what the angel did? Isang kanan, isang kaliwa. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Ayoko, ayoko. No, 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 no. Let's go, let's go, let's go. In other words, God saved four people who were reluctantly saved because of the grace of God. And my friend, I look at my life many times. God saved you, God saved me reluctantly. Amen? Praise God. God loves you. Now, Genesis chapter 15. You will now understand the story of the Canaanites. In Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers. In a, in a country, it's called Egypt, where they will be oppressed 400 years. So God told Abraham, the Israelites will be in a country and they'll be oppressed 400 years. Why 400 years? God said, after 400 years, in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. God said, I'm going to bring them back to the promised land. Remember, Abraham is now in the promised land. But God is saying, I'm going to make things happen where all of you will be scattered to Egypt. But after 400 years, I'm going to bring you back. Why? Because the sinfulness of the Amorites are not yet completed. 
You know, if you just read this, you won't understand. So I will now show you the reality of the land of promise, the Canaanites. Okay? So please, quickly, to understand what God is doing, you, I will give you this saying by R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul said the following. God's, everybody read, God's grace is not infinite. God is infinite. And God is gracious. We experience the grace of an infinite God, but grace is not infinite. God sets limits to his patience and forbearance. He warns us over and over again that someday the axe will fall and his judgment will be poured out. So my friend, I'm just telling you, God is holy. He is infinite, but his grace, his patience is not infinite. You cannot keep on sinning and sinning and expect to get away with murder. Look at the next quotation, which I hope will help you. Without holiness, everybody read, without holiness, God's patience would be indulgence to sin. His mercy, fondness. His wrath, madness. His power, a tyranny. His wisdom, an unworthy subtlety. Holiness gives decorum to them all. You see, God is holy. Therefore, there will be judgment. Now, to share with you why God commanded Joshua to kill everybody in the promised land, if you don't mind, will you please read Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, together. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven out the Canaanites, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me to possess the land. It is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. The Canaanites have reached a point where God is saying, enough is enough. Look at the next verse. It is not your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are going to enter the promised land. But it is because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which he swore to your fathers. Now, how wicked were the Canaanites? Let me give you an example from a historical perspective. Leviticus chapter 18. Everybody read the sinfulness of the place. Sounds like today. You shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife. That's adultery. To be defiled with her. You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them in Molech. Child sacrifice. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. That's called what? Homosexuality. It is an abomination. Also, you shall not have intercourse with any animal. According to God, you are going to be defiled. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. You want to know what's happening to people? Perverted. Read the next verse. Leviticus. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. <clears throat> when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, 
you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. So he gives example of sins. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire or who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens, sorcerer, one who casts a spell, a medium, a spirit, or one who calls up the dead. In other words, the place was so sinful, it's like cancer. You know, when doctor tells you you have cancer and I need to cut your arm, is the doctor being ugly? Is the doctor being bad? Or is the doctor being loving? See, it depends on your perspective. You see, friends, it's so important you have a proper picture of God's holiness and God's desire. Sometimes a place is so sinful that God is saying it's beyond hope. I'm going to judge it. Now, people ask me, what about children? What about children? Can I tell you God's perspective on death? God's perspective on death is different from you and from me. The Bible tells us God does not like the death of the wicked. Okay? The Bible is very clear. You want to see that verse about the death of the wicked? If you look at Ezekiel 17, 32, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. Therefore, repent. However, God, in another passage, in Psalm 116, says the following, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. How can that be? If you ask my opinion, children, when they die, I believe, I do not ask to what age they go to heaven, because they do not know what's right or wrong. But children, if they're allowed to live in an evil environment, will grow up learning all the foolish things of this world and they'll commit sin. And God is saying many times it is better to save the children from future sin. Why? Precious in the sight of God is the death of his people. Can I tell you why? Because for God, death is never final. For God, death is to be with him. So your concept of theology is very important. If not, you will have a problem. You will believe the lies of Satan. And then your attitude toward God will no longer be happy. You become angry at God, all right? So as we close, I'd like you to see what happened to the Gibeonites. You know what happened to the Gibeonites? God allowed them to live, yes or no? Yes or no? But do you know, because God allowed them to live, many of them got converted I call that the grace of God. What do I mean converted? Look at Chronicles. In the book of Chronicles, the Bible described to us the Gibeonite. Okay? Let's read that together. First Chronicles chapter 9, verse 2. Now the first who lived in their possessions in their cities were Israel the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants. Who are the temple servants? They are called Nethinim. Who are the Nethinim? These are the Gibeonites. What's my proof? I will share with you. Look at Nehemiah, chapter 3, verse 7. In the restoration of the temple, 
next to Malathiah the Gibeonite and Jadon, the man of Gibeon Mitzpah made repairs. In other words, in God's mercy and grace, the Gibeonites became worshippers of God. Even though they were consigned to become servants of the temple, for the rest of their lives, they are servants of the temple. They serve. But you notice, even hundreds of years later, many of them continued serving. They would rather go back to Jerusalem than stay in Babylon. Because God is merciful. Amen? So, how do you know God was happy with what they did? Because they told the Gibeonites, okay, this one you can read on your own. We cannot kill them because we made a promise to God. You see, they did not violate. They did not violate their vows to God. Do you know what God is telling us today? When you make a promise to God, you must do it. Look at Psalm. The book of Psalm tells us about the importance of keeping your word, okay? In the book of Psalm, everybody read, Oh Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may stay with you? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He swears to his own hurt and does not change. When you make a commitment, you have to do it. Look at Ecclesiastes. Look at what the Bible says. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Better you should not vow than you should vow. In other words, they made a vow before God. We will spare you. We will not kill you. Honestly, if you do not know theology, you will say, they should have killed them. No, no. God is saying in the book of Matthew, let your yes be yes and your no, no. You do not make a mistake to correct another mistake. So what do you do with your mistakes? Example, you are married already, but your husband is not a Christian. But you made a promise before God. You don't make a mistake to correct a mistake. You now surrender. You now commit your mistake to the Lord. Let me repeat. Don't correct a mistake by another mistake. You surrender your mistake to the Lord. You commit to follow the ways of God. That's how you protect yourself from deception. Is God able to do some, to make some magic to help you become better? Look at what he did to the Gibeonites. Did you know the blessing? Joshua was able to conquer the land faster. Instead of fighting the five kings one at a time, God brought all the five kings together to fight Joshua. And what did God do? God sent hailstones. Did you see that in the Bible? Oh, sh- those of you who come late, did you read that? In Joshua chapter 10? The Bible tells us, it's amazing. God said, do not be afraid of them. I'll give all of them into your hand. All of these five kings, they will be, your, they will be yours. The Lord threw them into confusion. They fled before Israel. Notice, the Lord heard large hailstones down on them more 
of them died from the hailstone that were killed. In other words, God supported the decision of Joshua. Let me repeat. The book of Joshua is descriptive, not prescriptive. Don't learn from the Gibeonites. I will lie. Okay, okay pala maglying dito eh. No, no. The Gibeonites wanted the mercies of God. And God honored them. At the same time, God honored the mistake of Joshua because they admitted their mistake. Joshua said, we made a mistake. We should not have made a vow, but we made a vow. Therefore, let us surrender that vow to the Lord. And you know, historically speaking, amazing. Did you hear, did you read the book of Joshua? How he prayed? Sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. The Bible tells us there was never a day like that. Nasa Bible ba yan? Oh, nasa Bible yan. Look. The Lord delivered up the Amorites before them. And then Joshua prayed. Sun, stand still at Gibeon. And the sun stood still. Oh, how can that be? Do you believe in God? Yes or no? Now, can God prolong daytime? How? You ask him. I don't know. There was no day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man. Of course, there are many theories, okay? There was a big meteor who went by, who reflected the sunlight, and it was like day for a long time. It doesn't matter. The whole point is this. God is able. Amen? So, in closing, I love Romans 8, 28. Can you read that together? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, including your mistake. Don't be deceived. Be on guard. How do you protect yourself? You must check it out. When you hear something, did I share with you the famous quotation of the German propagandist? Did I share that with you? As we close, I want you to be on guard. This is Joseph Gable. Joseph Gable is the chief propaganda officer of Hitler. How can Hitler convince Germany, one of the most educated countries in the world, to kill the Jews? How can he convince the most religious, one of the most religious countries at that time, the Lutherans, to do something evil? Very simple. If you tell a lie, everybody read. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come and believe it. Thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all its powers to repress dissent, for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. Sounds familiar? When you control media, you control news outlet, you suppress the truth. And God is telling us today, open your eyes, check it out. When people say, you follow what the world is following, be careful because you suffer the consequences. Now, why do I like Romans 8.28? I have made mistakes and have surrendered my mistake to the Lord. How many of you like adobo? You like adobo? You know, Romans 8.28 is like adobo. 
What do you mean, Peter? Don't be deceived. I will teach you how to claim Romans 8.28. Look at that verse one more time. I know you're hungry now, okay? But be patient. We know God causes all things. In other words, God is not responsible for bad things. But he allows bad things to happen. But when you surrender, look at the condition. God causes all. When you mix them up all together to work together for good, on what condition? To those who love God. If you respond with proper theology, that no matter what is happening to you, your family, your business, whatever problem you are facing today, but you respond in faith because you are not deceived. You check your thinking. Am I pleasing God or not? Is this from you? Yes or no? Is this biblical? Once you learn to think biblically, you act biblically, you surrender the outcome to God. Now, how do you cook adobo? I will teach you. You put garlic. You like garlic? I don't like. You like pepper? Ah. But you put garlic, you put pepper. What about vinegar? You like vinegar? Ah, but you mix garlic, pepper, vinegar. You like soy sauce? Okay, okay, soy sauce, soy sauce, okay. A little sugar, okay? All right. You mix all of them together. After you mix them together, mm-hmm. the result is what? Adobo. My friend, your life right now seems horrible. Garlic. Pepper. Ginger. But you know what? You allow God to take over your life. You surrender to God your mistake. You surrender to God everything. Just like Joshua and company. And the Bible tells us, in God's time, mm-hmm, adobo is coming. Your adobo is coming. In the meantime, what's the lesson today? Do not be deceived. Be on guard. Check what you are hearing. When people says this, when people says that, you consult the Bible, consult God. Is what you're hearing biblical or not? And then you must be willing to commit, to follow, to commit your mistake, to commit your future to the Lord. And the result is what? Mm-hmm. Let's bow our heads and pray. If God has been speaking to you, and you have struggles, you have been deceived by Satan, I want you to surrender your mistake to the Lord. Perhaps some of you have never made a commitment, a commitment to really follow God, a commitment to study the Bible. How can you protect yourself if you don't know the truth? So today I ask you to make a commitment to study the Bible and to obey the Bible. And if that's your commitment today, remember what you commit, you must do. If you are willing to commit to follow the Bible, will you raise your hands higher? That's you and God. Now, remember, you are going to make a commitment between you and God, okay? And God sees you. 
If you are not willing to make a commitment to God, don't raise your hands. God knows. But you know something is wrong with you. But if you are willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, today I will surrender my life. I will follow you. Raise your hands. I will pray that God will give you supernatural strength to follow. I will pray that God will grant you mercy and strength so that you will be able to follow him. Anybody else? Today, I want you to surrender your life, to commit even your mistakes to the Lord and trust him completely. Lord Jesus, I now pray for everybody who has raised their hands. You know their struggles. You know their problems. I pray you honor their desire. I pray that you grant all of us the grace and the power to surrender our mistakes, to surrender the bad decisions we have made in the past, to entrust you to correct our future. Lord God, bless your people here today. As your heads are bowed down, I want to ask you also this question. Have you made commitments to God that you have not followed? You tell people you want to do something, but you end up not doing it. You are not a man of honor. You don't keep your word. I want you to repent of that sin also. Starting today, you must learn to honor your commitment, like Joshua. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you don't follow your commitment, that is called lying. And that is not good. You need to learn to be careful, be on guard before you make commitments. But once you make commitment, please follow through with your commitment. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're a man of honor and that you're a God of honor. If you expect us to follow our promises, Lord, I thank you. I can trust you completely to fulfill your promises to each one of us. Just as you have wanted us to fulfill our vows to you, Lord, I thank you for the many promises you have made to us. You promised to forgive our sins. You promised to give us eternal life. You promised to give us a new beginning. And you promised us, Lord, fulfillment, love, joy. So, Lord, I claim your promises for each one of us, that we will experience your promises in your time. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.